Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are continuing our series on eternal life, looking at the big picture. The big story is contained uh, throughout the Word of God. Um, I'm sure not completely comprehensive, but uh, as comprehensive as we can be in the limited time we have. We're just looking at different scriptures, and we left off last time in the 19th chapter of Alma. I believe, Corey, we were... um, we were talking about, uh, we Alma was talking to his son about the resurrection, the body and the spirit, and that there was a time after you go into the grave that you would spend uh, either with God or if you were wicked, there was a place prepared for you as well. And then he was talking about this great resurrection, and um, I'll just let you take it from there. We were in the 19th chapter of Alma yeah, thanks, Mike. And you know, this is kind of scripture study podcast today. I'm I'm really enjoying this time we have together to open the Word. Uh, if you're using the RLDS version, yeah, it's Alma 19. If you're in the LDS, it's closer to Alma 40, 41. We're um we're we're about to come up on something that there's. It's always good to define words. Um, Alma described the fact that hey, spirits and bodies get separated when we die. This temporal death. The spirits go one place, the the bodies in the grave. He said when Jesus was resurrected, he was the first to be resurrected. He said spirits from the time of Adam on down to him got resurrected, and some were in heaven and paradise, but some were in the prison house too. Not all of them got released, but some remained. So there's a little mystery later to unfold, but but realize that there was in uh, in big groups, a big group of people got got this resurrection. But what he's leading up to now. And uh, I think we we were in uh, around 57, 58, 59. These scriptures are about to tell us about the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. These are these are two separate events separated by the millennium. It's important that we understand this, uh, and that being a thousand years, it's important that we realize what's been the plan from the beginning, and see how clearly the Book of Mormon shares this with us. And then this will help us as we open up scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants to, to understand. And I think it's worth repeating, as we shared in the last episode, we, we are using the Book of Mormon as our lens to understand other scripture. And it, is, it, gives, it brings so much clarity to the Bible, to the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, the, the plan of salvation, the prophecies of the future, the, the, this idea of Zion and, and, and the gathering, it's all here. And so right now we're going to understand a little bit more about this idea of souls and, and, and people coming to, to God to be judged of our works. So uh, just to add to that, Corey, you know, the Book of Mormon, we were promised and we were told would restore many plain and precious parts of the Word of God to man, and we were told that it would be the standard in the last days for for us, and that's one of the reasons why we, we put so much uh, weight into this uh, recorded book of Scripture, and we also believe that it was uh, translated one time, um, and it's less than 200 years old from the time that it came forth. Um, and so we just we have many reasons why uh, we do believe in it and why it does hold weight in our belief system. Yeah, and, and we need to realize that the Book of Mormon itself prophesies that 
in a day to come, these words that were written by the Nephites, this remnant of Joseph, will return to them. And from that event, uh, it says, uh, this is in the RLDS version, 2 Nephi 12, 44, my words will hiss forth unto the ends of the earth, this word, and for a standard unto my people. This work is going to be the standard, whether or not people see it as that now. Uh, it, it will become the standard by which people come to Christ and understand. So it's important as a people, we we understand the, the messages. And, and as a people, we tell these messages and we don't confuse it. We, we give the, the straight, plain talk that comes from the Book of Mormon. So, so Alma's been explaining to his son, Corianton, about life after death, not in the concept of uh, the, a new heaven, new earth, but just what happens to your spirit when it dies? And, and then when it comes back together, what happens? So, but now he's leading up to this, and I'm in Alma 1959 in the RLDS version. Now, my son, this is the restoration of which has been spoken by the mouths of the prophets. Then shall a righteous shine forth in the kingdom of God. This is when all the dead come and stand before God. But he says, but behold, an awful death comes upon the wicked. They die as to things pertaining to things of righteousness, for they are unclean, and no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of God. So I want to stop for a minute, Mike, and this idea of clean and unclean, you know, it it was just recently I was reading this scripture and a couple like it in the Book of Mormon, and, and it jumped out at me, you're either clean or you're unclean. And I thought, you know, where where is that? It, it's repeated in other places in Scripture. And then I realized the Old Testament was full of things that made you clean or things that made you unclean. And, you know, I, to, to explain that a little bit, being unclean wasn't associated with sin necessarily. For instance, if, if you were at a funeral and there was a dead body in the house or the tent or wherever this dead body was— Everyone who went in under that roof was automatically unclean, and they could not go in the temple, all right? So uncleanness meant that something you had to do something. Sometimes it was waiting just a certain number of days. Sometimes you had to take this special uh, mikvah, I believe they call it, like the, a bath, or a ritual cleansing. There were sometimes you know, uh, things that you had to do. It didn't mean you were sinful. It just meant that you weren't allowed to go into the temple. And this this is important because there were times, for instance, when women just in their monthly menstrual cycle, for instance, became unclean during that time period. Or if they'd given birth, they were unclean. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, I, I kind of related but, but unrelated, there was also this commandment to men, if you weren't uh, able to uh, produce, like if you had had a, a reproductive problem, you know, with your with your physical genitals, that prevented someone from ever going in the temple. Now, that seems so harsh, but there was a symbolism there in that God meant this to symbolize the fertility of God and the church symbolized through men and women as they came together for the ability to produce the kingdom. And he was kind of like showing that, hey, God is this powerful, capable God who's capable of producing this kingdom, and the church will be. The church couldn't go in the temple when it was unclean. It had to be clean. And when you were clean as a woman, you were also fertile, which was kind of an interesting uh, aside. But the point is, in the uncleanness, you you could not just go waltzing back into God's presence. The uncleanness had to, had to be removed. And so... This great. This is a great parallel 
for understanding that the point of Jesus, the point of the death on the cross is so that we could have our uncleanness removed. The sin of man was this uncleanness that we could not remove on our own. No matter how hard you know we tried, how many times we said we're sorry, we couldn't do it. So to be clean again, to become able to enter back into the kingdom of God, the uncleanness had to be removed. So back to verse 60, for they are unclean and no unclean thing can enter the kingdom of God. They are cast out, consigned to partake of the fruits of their labors or their works, which have been evil, and they drink the dregs of a bitter cup. So he's he's stating now that he's going to explain something, and he's going to talk about this word restoration. And if, if something is restored, it's put back into its natural state. We have to see this in context of what's just been described, though, unclean or clean. The restoration is either going to put you back into a state that you desired for good in this life, then you're restored to good. If you desired evil in this life and the uncleanness was not removed, i.e. your sin, then you're restored to that. So it's, it's just continuing to say the attitude of our heart is ultimately what determines our place in, in eternity. If our heart changes... God says, I can remove the sin. If our heart doesn't change, we accept our sin. And and that becomes the crux of all the rest of this conversation. As we as we continually talk about the change heart, and as I said, we don't need saving, uh, we don't need a savior to come and just pass out a reward. We need a God that is powerful enough to make my heart a heart that desires holiness that desires righteousness, not that desires evil. So it's not just a matter of lining up how many bad things I do or how many good things I do. It is a fact that I cannot within myself. It's it's not even me, Corey. It's my God that created me, then told me that I am carnal, sinful, and devilish. We have to understand that this opposition that entered in upon us and that we became a part of at the time that Adam sinned in the garden— and was kicked out from the presence of God, that men began to be carnal, sensual, and devilish. We're born into an evil world. We're born and we're just surrounded by people that want to seek their own God and, and make God into their own image. And and we have to be saved from that. We can't save ourselves from that. And that means that our nature has to change. When we talk about a changed heart, our heart has to get to the point where it desires righteousness. It desires goodness. And that, what we're talking about in eternal life is that that pathway can and will take place among all men who don't continually reject God and seek after their own selfish, their own selfish ways and, and continue to just feed the flesh. So there's works that we have to do. There's work that we have to do to desire, but we have to also learn to place our trust in someone that is greater than us, someone that is greater than our own heart. Because within myself, I don't possess the um, the fortitude or I don't possess the righteousness or the goodness to go choose holiness. I just don't. That has to be, that has to come from my God and, and from his plan. When when Adam departed, you know, he, he fell out of God's presence and his body became a body that was dependent on the earth in new ways. You know, he didn't he didn't need to eat food the way we eat food and live and sweat and and all these things. 
existence was different, and and that's all we can say because we've not been there. But but this body that we have now is a body that's likened unto the animals. That's why you know, hey, the the evolutionists say, well, look for look at this evidence where you know we have you know certain similarities in our protein structures and our DNA like animals. See, therefore, we evolved. No, our our human body might have features in the physical part that look like the earth because yeah, God. We, we are not in that presence with that perfect body. Now, the ultimate body God wants us to return to isn't like this one in that, in that manner, but everything after the earth right now is. And so it, everything after the earth right now is carnal and sensual and devilish in, in the fact that we have the same spirit that used to live in a body that wasn't tempted by the flesh, but now we have, now we have a body that is subject to the temptations. And, and so God knows that. And he realizes this from the beginning that it's, it's not our fault that we're out of his presence in that we didn't have any choice in that and being born. This is the type of body we have now. This is the type of, of conditions we live under. And that's what he's trying to save us from. He's, he's, he's trying to let us know there's something greater. There's something so much bigger beyond this. And you want that. Otherwise you get trapped away from it forever. So, so again, uh, it's just like I say, it's, it's something to consider that it is the flesh that separates us from him. What he's got for us is so much more powerful, and it's so much more beyond anything we can comprehend though right now. Well, uh, lead us on for the— um, Yeah, yeah, let's continue. So when, when I was explaining this, and again, he said, and I should, believe we shared this in the previous episode, he's— he said, hey, an angel came and told me this. So we've got to believe that the things he's explaining are, are truthful and uh, something worthy of our understanding. So in in the verse uh, 62 in the inspired, <clears throat> I'm sorry, in the earliest version, Alma says to his son Corianton, now my son, I have somewhat to say concerning the restoration of that which has been spoken. For some have rested the scriptures and gone far astray because of this thing, and perceive that your mind has been worried also concerning this thing. But I'm going to explain it to you. So he now starts the explanation. I say unto thee, my son, that the plan of restoration is requisite with the justice of God. Now, I I looked up that word requisite because I like to look words up. And requisite is simply a word that means this. It's made necessary by particular circumstances or regulations. Something made necessary by circumstances or regulations. So it's saying this is necessary. It's part of it. It's got to be. So when he's saying something, the restoration is requisite with the justice of God, it's, it's got to happen. So remember, the justice of God was God executing his plan, and justice meant either you could have your sins washed away or you accepted your sins. So Restoration is part of this as well. So he states in verse 64, for it is requisite that all things should be restored to their proper order. So, you know, we get bodies that are whole and healed, um, but it is requisite and just according to the power and the resurrection of Christ that the soul of man should be restored to its body. So Everything gets restored, the souls come back, and every part of the body restored to itself again. And it is requisite with the justice of God 
that men should be judged according to their works. So he's saying the soul coming back, the body coming back, and judgment all have are connected. If our works were good in this life and the desires of their hearts were good, that they should also at the last day be restored unto that which is good. Now, right here is contained, there's a lot of truth right here. Remember, that. see that word heart is contained. If our hearts were good, that's been the point of Scripture we've been bringing out, I think, in almost every podcast, that we're judged based on our heart. And if our heart changes, then Jesus does the rest. If our hearts were good, then we have the good reward. But if our works are evil, verse 67, it states, and if his works are evil, then shall be restored unto him for evil. But the difference is, it's not like every work gets you a little bit higher. It either restores you to good or restores you to evil. And, and I think we've started to go down a slippery slope in our understanding as, as a people there. Restoration saying you're being restored to good or you're being restored to evil, not a thousand little shades in between. And, and that's the difference. The difference is, did your heart change? So it says, therefore, all things are restored to their proper order, everything to its natural frame, mortality raised to immortality, corruption to incorruption, raised to endless happiness to inherit the kingdom of God, or to endless misery to inherit the kingdom of the devil. Here's, the, here's one of the ultimate, it's a life or death parallels. You're restored to the kingdom of God, or you're restored to the kingdom of the devil. This is Book of Mormon Principle 101, right? Endless happiness or endless misery. Right. And this, again, if, if it wasn't clear enough, verse 68 uses this uh, phrase that you see in, in Hebrew uh, speaking, the one on the one hand and the other on the other, always comparing it the left hand or the right hand. So it's, it's not saying there's an in-between. You're restored to the kingdom of God or you're restored to the kingdom of the devil. You're restored, as verse 68 says, the one raised to happiness according to his desires of happiness and good and according to his desires of good, and the other to evil according to his desires of evil. For he is desired to do evil all the day long, even so he shall have his reward of evil when the night cometh. Can you imagine, Corey, that someone desires to do a little evil and then sometimes desires to be a little good? I don't think that we're set up to stay in that state forever because it, if I desire a little evil, the nature of evil is to completely inherit my body and to take over my all of my desires and flesh. And it's the same thing with the spirit. If you desire good, God's set up to completely inherit and take over and abide with you until you're perfected. But um, But there's no way to... There's no way to be a little of each. And, and you know, we're about to come up to something where he, he nails it in just a few words with what you just said. We, we can't assume that, hey, well, I can be a little good and a little evil because that counts, that counts for evil in the end. Uh, you know, we, we can't remember the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel. Mm. He, he's the one. He can't be deceived. Um, when, uh, when, when I think it's Malachi states, hey, will a man rob God? You know, and, and we know that scripture regarding tithing. Well, that word rob in the Hebrew literally is the phrase we use in the modern vernacular to, to pull the wool over someone's eyes. You know, we have this idea that, you know, you, to, to trick someone. That's the concept of can you rob God? No, you can't deceive him. 
And so we, we, we can't have a deceptive heart and, and think that that's going to restore us to good. So he that repents in verse 69 he that repents of his sins and desired righteousness until the end of his days, even so shall he be rewarded under righteousness. And they that are redeemed of the Lord, these are they that are taken out, that are delivered from that endless night of darkness. Isn't that something? They are redeemed. They are taken out. We're, we're pulled back you know, we're from, from this captor that wanted to grab us and pull us away. No, we're taken back. We're delivered from that endless night of darkness. That's Let's, um, that's another, we said that word redeemed was one that we have to have, that we have to say is worth looking at because it's going to come into play later and we can't change that definition. And so here, let's just make a note that the word redeemed is attached to, um, to something, where was that at? Uh, Verse 70. 70. Yeah. They that are redeemed are the ones that are taken out and they're delivered from endless night of darkness. Right. Yeah. That's a good definition in itself. Now, the word redemption is actually explained in two ways. One, one way of being redeemed, redemption is used in some scriptures to simply describe the event where all stand before God. That's a, that's a redemption in a sense that, hey, we're all allowed to be brought back into God's presence by, by Jesus' work. If he hadn't done that, we couldn't even have in, endured that moment. But the true redemption is, as you point out, to to be delivered from the night of darkness. Yeah, or or probably even better in sixty nine it says, uh, "You've desired righteousness up until the end of your days. Even so, you shall be rewarded unto righteousness. These are they that are redeemed. You rewarded under righteousness." But you know it, it says in sixty nine, uh, "He that repented and desired righteousness righteousness until the end of his days." Uh, that's that's an important aspect of this. It, it's the lifelong attitude. Yeah, you you want me to share a little of that right oh, now? Oh yeah, yeah. So my you talking about my cousin Melinda. Mm-hmm. So whether our listeners know, uh, I have a cousin. Um, it's my dad's sister's um, daughter, and she lost her mom and dad within the last couple of years, and um, didn't have a lot of family, and so she she um, had cancer, and it was uh, in her spine throughout her body, and um, and my wife and I just. We're healthcare workers. Um, I've worked hospice. It just uh, it was just put on our heart that hey, you know, I don't want her to go to a nursing home. She doesn't have family. That um, we've got plenty of room here. We'd just let her stay here. And, so. and she she would never married. Uh, right? She wasn't married. Didn't well. She was married, uh, but she didn't have any children. No children. So yeah, and she was divorced. So. So, yeah, she's kind of lived alone. Now, I wanted to share, and she was quite open about this. My cousin suffered greatly from um, some mental illness. And when I say that, I mean um, diagnosed schizophrenia, major depression, uh, was uh, was in a home several times, was on um, not just um, not just mild uh, medicine, but very um, potent medicine, medicine that would um, – I can remember her standing in the kitchen and just marching in place. She couldn't stop moving, and that was the side effects of the medicine at times. Um, I had an opportunity um, over the last couple of months, uh, as I would take care of her, we would sit down and we would just have some discussions. And at one point, she shared, and we were talking about the mental illness that kind of ran in her family, and her mom had schizophrenia up and, and suffered from that as well. Um, Melinda told me that, you know, there were times in her life where, you know, the depression would just get the best of her. And she said, you know, 
Oh, I wouldn't be able to be around um, people, and I would just stay at home and hole up, you know, and be by myself. And she goes, and I know that wasn't right, but it was just it was where I was at. But you know what, Corey? Um, she admitted that you know at times the disease got the better of her, and she gave in to that. Um, but at the same time, I would go over there, and she'd always had her scriptures laying on her bed, and I would look at her, and I'd look over there, and she would open up those scriptures and read and. I just got countless um, comments on Facebook and um, in text messages from her friends that says she was such a light to them and that she, even though in the midst of her suffering, she was worried about their suffering and where they were at and were they okay in their life. And this, as I was talking to my wife one night, these words just came out of my mouth and it all kind of came together at one point. And as I was talking to her, I was kind of receiving understanding at the same time. I said, you know, this is what it means to endure to the end. Melinda wasn't perfect every day of her life and she didn't always um, take the best path. She wasn't always able to take the best path. There was times when the disease got the best of her. There were times when she, um, rather than uh, being around people, she decided to stay at home and be by herself, and she couldn't do any better at those times. But her desires were always righteous. I shouldn't even say that. Her desires were to always um, be concerned about other people as much as she could, as much as she had the power to do. And so I, what I saw was this life of just this soldier that continually tried to fight to do what was good. And sometimes she succeeded and sometimes she didn't, but she always praised God and gave him blessings. She always gave him credit. And that's what it means, I believe, to live a life where we fail where we uh, are not able to overcome every instance that we fight these battles that we have, and yet our desires are still there. And that's a perfect, she was just the perfect, um, she was a perfect example being lived out in front of me of what it means to, to be a good person and to have righteous desires and yet still need a savior mm. and not always, um, not always overcome in every situation. And she was so honest about that. Mm -hmm. And that's the nature of mental illness. Anyway, it was so weird. I even told her, I went over there one night. I said, you know, Melinda, you're on here sitting here on the couch and I'm coming over to fill your meds and all that. And I said, but I find peace when I'm around you. And I always just felt peace when I was around her. I don't know why, but that was, that was the nature of her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Enduring to the end, mm -hmm. you know, somehow we, we picture, uh, I think I have in my life, and during the end means that I'm going to feel like I conquered yeah. everything. And, yeah, and, you finally got it one day. Yeah. The perfect day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it's it's so true what you, what you bring out in Melinda's life is that it's so true for all of us. Even though we will have perfect times and moments in our life, we still live in a fallen world. And, and we're going to live, you know, just like Nephi with, here he has mountaintop experiences beyond anything we can imagine her have experienced personally of goodness. And yet he's still surrounded by his enemies, his mm -hmm. own family who wants to kill him. And it's like, you know, he's enduring to the end despite the circumstances. Yeah. And that's where I, um, and, and I could be completely wrong in this, but this is where I would say where um, a typical understanding of life after death would say, well, you know, there are people out there who, um, 
because of their faith, were able to overcome their mental illness. And and the Lord has this uh, place prepared for them, this this wonderful place where she, they can be with the Father. And and yet there's other ones that just because of their lack of faith or or whatever, um, they were still good people. But you know there was times that they just gave into those sins, and they um, you know they didn't want to be around other people, and they kind of hold up by themselves, and they weren't good stewards over their life. And so there's other places prepared for them. That's where I just say like. I don't. I don't think so. Mm. That's not. That's not the part of the big story. That's not part of the story that I see. Yeah, you know, I, mm. I didn't get to meet Melinda personally. I heard wonderful things from you, Mike, about her. But was she someone who, in your estimation, um, felt oh, like she didn't get a fair hand in life, even though she was aware of her problems, or or did she did she hold God like you know in contempt because mm. of her situation? Did she, was she someone who was blaming God? Not at all. No, not at all. Matter of fact, um, I was reading some of her texts and things, uh, looking for addresses, and um, boy, she was putting up the, the one of the worst days of her life was the day she had to give up her cat when she came to live mm-hmm. with us, and um, and uh, she said she said that I didn't realize how bad of a day it was for her. But she said, this is probably one of the saddest days of my life. And yet, even in this day, I have a blessing because mm-hmm. I have a place to go to to live wow. and be with yeah. people. And she had a cat for like 18 years. Wow. I mean, it was her only companion. You can imagine someone that mm-hmm. suffers from mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. No, she was always looking for the ways to be blessed. And that's, I think that was part of the enduring or the peace that I saw with her is that she uh, – to her, it was, um, it was. She was always quick to tell you that she, um, she's not. You know, she's not a good person, and that she suffers, and that um, that there's other people that are so much better than her. And, and yet, uh, there was just a lot of humility there, and it wasn't a false humility. Mm-hmm. So, but as it is often with people that suffer like that, I don't know. She just, she really fulfilled what it meant to I say when I see someone that relies on God with a thorn in their side every day for their strength wow. because she needed it and wow. she it wasn't possible for her to to function in this world without it and that's where we can take hope and joy mm-hmm. and confidence in that our, our God is is a perfect God and perfect judge and and enduring to the end is probably something where he judges us individually, you know, in that mm-hmm. within the capabilities and the challenges and things in that it becomes, you know, the heart is the thing that has to change and the circumstances may not change. Our, our attitude towards it can change. I, I keep coming back in my own life to Alma's counsel of, you know, be comforted in Christ. And, and when I'm beset by temptations or there's trials and, a conflict and, and it's like, can I, can I in the moment just say, Lord, can I be comforted in you and, and not turn to other things for comfort? And in that it's, I'm realizing that's how I can endure, try to endure to the end by simply saying, Lord, just let me be comforted in you in this conflict. And and if there's, to me, that might be the truest definition of enduring to the end is simply say, just let me be comforted in you in this moment. Uh, when I look at someone's life like Melinda, that's that's where the questions come up in my mind. And, and I realize I'm just a human mind and I don't begin to see things like God does. But, um, you know, you look at a lady who, who just, her family is the epitome of a dysfunctional family. And, um, you know, her, her father left, left her mom. Her mom was just a 
not because she was a mean person, but because of her disease, just treated her and her brothers terribly. Um, you know, I believe her brothers are all homeless and mm. suffer from mental illness and can't function in society. And not all of them, but um, but uh, two of her brothers. Anyway, the, the girl just didn't have, she had every disadvantage. So then you look at someone's life like that and you, you, you have to say that her choices in life were not the same choices that I have in life or that someone else has. We're all, we all come from different places and there's only one equalizer and that's Jesus. Yes. Um, Jesus is the, is the equalizer and, and that's why we, we just can't stack up our rights and wrongs and look at each other's rights and wrongs and try to figure out, um, which place is first, second, or third, or where we end up going uh, for eternity based on our rights and wrongs. Um, yeah, it, it comes back to the Savior who was right and what he promised and said he could do to free us from this mortal life of sin. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the story, as I see, is that God came down and took on flesh and blood and died for us, and that that story is what life is about, um, this great act of love and this great act of love that wants to be inside of our hearts. It's the only thing that will ever fill us. Uh, that story is the only thing that will fill every need that we'll ever have. It's right. represented as this tree, as this, in the visions, it's um, this fruit. It's, it's, it is this story. It's yeah. the story. And so— yeah, well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you sharing that and, and being transparent about that. And uh, this this text of Alma just begins to unfold some some great and marvelous things. You know, we just defined, and you helped us see in verse 70, how redeemed of the Lord meant we were taken out, re- delivered from the endless night of darkness. Now, uh, the next phrase in this verse answers a question that a friend asked recently, and he said, Hey, do you think that when when we're judged by God that we are really going to have to be judged or do you think we're going to know? Do you think we're going to know kind of what where we're going to end up? And and that's that was a good question and this scripture helps answer that. Notice the last half of 70. And thus they stand or fall. Now remember we've talked about people who desire good raised to happiness, people who desire not good raised to the evil or the kingdom of the devil. Behold, they are their own judges, whether to do good or to do evil. And so, you know, we, we judge ourselves. We're going to judge whether we do good or evil. We're going to stand or fall based on our judgment. And, and we're going to know. I think I think we're going to know that our, our hearts were changed or they weren't. Now, 71 reminds us the decrees of God are unalterable. Don't think for a minute that just because, you know, we— hey, we happened to find what we thought was the right church or restoration or whatever, that somehow you get this pass. In other words, all humanity is judged according to this standard, that if our desires were good, we're raised to good. If our desires were evil, we're raised, we don't get raised to good. And, and these decrees are God's, and they don't change. They don't change. The way is prepared Whosoever will may walk therein and be saved. But that's, again, what the Scripture says. The way is narrow, but it's straight, all right? And, and if you choose this, ye, you find salvation. Now, 72 and 73 get back to something we talked about just a few minutes ago. Behold, my son, don't risk one more offense against your God 
upon those points of doctrine which you've hitherto risked to commit sin. You pointed out so well, hey, he's he's taking comfort in all these other things. He's saying, don't don't fall into that now that you understand this with knowledge. Don't and he says, do not suppose because it hath been spoken concerning restoration that you will be restored from sin to happiness. Here's the famous line, behold I say unto you, wickedness was never happiness. This this I think captures this idea that, you know, we can't decide that, oh, I'm just going to live a sinful life, and in the end, I'm just going to switch it all around, and then I'll be good, right? No, wickedness was never happiness. Uh, the, the, the sin of, that you desired so much, you, you can't trick God and say, no, I, I want you the last day of my life, but I don't want you, didn't want you before. We get, we get judged for the life attitude, I think, for the whole. Wickedness was never happiness. He says, my son, all men are in a state of nature, or as I would say, in a carnal state, in the gall of bitterness, in the bonds of iniquity. That's what you stated before. I mean, this is the sinful life that we need to a redeemer from. All of all us, men. all are in this gall of bitterness, in the bonds of iniquity, all in a carnal state. Carnal, by the way, looked that definition up. It means it comes from literally in in butchering animals. It, carnal was the word they used to describe the flesh that was stripped from the bone, and mm-hmm. and that's so so basic and so raw. So we're in such a raw state, bitterness, iniquity, without God in the world, and they have gone contrary to the nature of God. Therefore, they are in a state contrary to the nature of happiness. And this is all men. All men. So it's saying, hey, our, our natural existence is in to be in a state contrary to the nature of happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's again, these are these are these scriptures that are ultimate principles that the angel revealed to Alma that he's sharing to us. We are all contrary to the nature of God. We are all in a state contrary to the nature of happiness. So he continues now helping us to understand this word restoration. And it already defines restoration as you're restored to good or you are restored to evil. But he says in 76, and now behold, is the meaning of the word restoration to take a thing of a natural state and place it in an unnatural state or in a place or place it in a state opposite to its nature. He's explaining, don't think that you're going to be evil in this world and then suddenly arrive in a state of happiness. That's not how restoration works. So verse 77, oh, my son, this is not the case. But the meaning of the word restoration is to bring back again evil for evil or carnal for carnal or devilish for devilish. You know, restoration means you get put back the way you were. And so... This is why it's so important that we understand the heart has to change. Because if the heart changes, we get put back into a good state. But the, the verse continues, So devilish for devilish, good for that which is good, righteous for that which is righteous, just for that which is just, merciful for that which is merciful. Something to keep in mind when we look at all of this, being restored, be merciful unto your brethren, I believe the story of our God and what he did for us is what motivates us and what motivates and brings in that change of heart, though, to to be merciful to our brethren because we first understand God was merciful to us. And when we say understand, it means it's somehow it's embedded in our DNA. We, we begin to 
we, we begin to relish in that and just love that story and, and fall in love with our God and we fall in love with other people. It's it's a change. It's it's a supernatural change that takes place. It's not just a matter of um, I'm going to be good today and I'm going to be merciful to people. Something is motivating me to do that, and it's not you know it's not my own carnal, sensual, devilish self. It's a power with without me that is working on me to Great. do that. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So um, it says down in 81, after all of this that he told Alma, he said, um, he says to his son, I perceive there's somewhat more that's worrying your mind that you can't understand, right? Right, right. And and here he finally talks about the punishment of the sinner and, he the, and the justice of God. So it was like, he was like, well, this is a little harsh of a message. Is this where he's going? And he's going to tell him. Yeah, yeah. And and here we're going to see this, what you just stated, Mike, it's such a beautiful lead into the next few verses because he explains something very beautiful about Adam and Eve. You know, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, it, it, the the first inclination is to think, oh, well, God was punishing them. God was angry with them, so he sent them out. And no, it wasn't in God's anger. It was in God's mercy. And and we're going to see what that actually means here in the next couple of verses. So he, he starts explaining the second question the son has. And the question is concerning the justice of God and the punishment of the sinner. And because he says, you're trying to suppose that it's an injustice that the sinner should be consigned to a state of misery. That takes us back to the episode a couple of times ago. You said that video where the guy was, or the lady was telling that preacher, you know, how, how can you believe in a God that sends everybody to hell? So exactly. Here, here, here we, we go. go. Here yeah. we go. Here's the answer to that. For behold, this is 82. For behold, after the Lord God sent out our first parents from the Garden of Eden to till the ground, uh, he drove men out, placed at the east of the garden, cherubim with flaming swords, uh, to guard the tree of life. See, they, they didn't partake of the tree of life. They took partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That allowed them to see and understand things about God and life that they didn't understand, and it was transgression, of course. But had they partaken of the tree of life, we're going to find out what the consequence was. So verse 83 we see that man had become as God, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he should put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat of that one and live forever, God placed this flaming sword with the angel guarding it so that he couldn't partake, so that man could have a time to repent. And this is life. 84 now says, we see now, because of this, there was a time granted unto man to repent, our probation, a time to repent and serve God. Because if we didn't have this time, 85 explains, for behold, if Adam had put forth his hand immediately and partook of the of the tree of life, he would have lived forever according to the word of God, having no space for repentance, and also the word of God would have been void, the great plan of salvation would have been frustrated. But behold, it was appointed for us to have this time now and die as to the temporal death. It was appointed that we were cut off from the tree of life and cut off from the face of the earth, from God's presence. And then we became lost forever. We became fallen man. So again, this brings us back to something that I think we talked about a couple episodes ago. The fact that our sinful state was eternal. 
That was the sentence for what happened with Adam and Eve. It was an eternal condemnation. It, it was going to last forever, this separation from God. So the only way that eternal problem could be resolved was with an eternal payment, mm-hmm. an eternal solution. And here we see this again. Verse 87 says, we were cut off and we, would have, we were lost forever that's what fallen man means, not just lost for a little while. There was no chance to come back and stand before God. And so now we see in 88, our first parents were cut off temporally and spiritually from the presence of God, and they became subjects to follow after their own will. Now, that's not just a little minor statement there, subjects to follow after their own will. No. That's the crux of life, right? Carnal, sensual, and devilish. Right. That becomes... This is why it's important we understand when Jesus comes and said, hey, I came to do your will, God, not my own. And and when he states at the end of his life, I have overcome, I have fulfilled your will. This is the fact that the problem with all flesh is that we want to do our own will. That's what it means to be locked in this body. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we were left to follow after our own will— that was the problem. That's why what Jesus did was so important because he perfectly executed not his will, but God's will. That's what we can only hope to do a shadow of in this life. And that's what growing in faith, that's what walking in faith, that's what enduring to the end means is that we little bit by little bit learn how to overcome our will and choose God's will instead. That's that's the life journey. That's the 40 years of of Israelites in the wilderness, for instance, is learning to choose living by that manna, which represented the word of God to live on day by day. Will I let God's word transform me? So I want to put my will aside and choose his will instead. That's what our life comes down to. And so when it adds that they were subjects to follow after their own will, that's that's the plight of man right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 91 says they they become carnal, sensual, and devilish by nature. This probationary state became a state for them to prepare. It became a preparatory state. And now remember, my son, if it were not for the plan of redemption, laying it aside, as soon as they were dead, their whole souls were miserable, being cut off from the presence of the Lord. And now there is no means to reclaim men from this fallen state which man had brought upon himself because of his own disobedience. Therefore, according to justice, the plan of redemption could not be brought about only on conditions of repentance of men in this probationary state, yea, this preparatory state. For except it were for those conditions, mercy could not take effect, except it would destroy the work of justice. Now the work of justice could not be destroyed, if so... God would cease to be God. You just have to ponder on that for a minute. That's just something you can't skip over, but also something that I can't understand unless the Holy Spirit just helps reveal that, you know. Yeah, and you know, it's it's stating something here that it, we have to take to heart. <clears throat> In these words as contained a couple principles that one mercy Mercy means that our sins are washed away. That's the plan that God wants to execute. And it took, as we're going to read in the next couple of verses, an eternal sacrifice to accomplish. Justice, on the other hand, means that we're punished for our sin. And that's the life we're living right now, separated from God. All humanity has the 
justice is our problem right now in that we're cast out of God's presence. But the point of this verse in 94, and we have to see this, mercy could not take effect except it would destroy the work of justice. The work of justice couldn't be destroyed if so God would cease to be God. In other words, unless repentance occurs, mercy can't overcome justice. God's, God's, it's even, it's not within his capability. If so, he wouldn't be God anymore if he just said, we're, we're going to forget this. You know, you, you just sneak in the back door here. Yeah, there's, there's certain things that cannot change, and that is the nature of God. It's not just, it's just who he is. It's not even something that he said or a law that he made. It's, it's who he is. He's this just God. So there's no way around it. 96 states, thus we see that all mankind were fallen. All were in the grasp of justice. You picture, remember that word in Second Nephi 6, the awful monster, death mm-hmm. and hell. It uses that word monster three or four times. It's the monster who's got us. It's the monster who were in the grasp. That's what justice is. Justice was that monster. In other words, our sin had us in a grasp, and we could not come back into God's presence, period. But 97 states, now the plan of mercy... In other words, coming back into God's presence, having forgiveness, it could not be brought about except an atonement would be made. And if there's a scripture to ever understand, it's right here in 97. Therefore, God himself atoneth for the sins of the world to bring about the plan of mercy, to appease the demands of justice, that God might be a perfect, just God and a merciful God also. Wow. Mm-hmm. That God himself did this. There was only one solution to an eternal problem, and it took the eternal one himself. That's why he's the one who came down. He's the only one who could make the justice of our sin, which was cost an eternal price. He's the only one who could pay it with an eternal atonement. That's uh I think that's a place to pick up for the next one, Corey. All right. 